Holy Spirit, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would so enliven our hearts and our minds that we would hear the word that you have for us this morning. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. I'm excited to continue our Explore God series today, but I guess I, I have in my mind the Super Bowl. That's pretty exciting. And I, I see some Packers jerseys in the audience. Well, well, well done on that, Olin Echex. And I have to say, the story of Jesus is an underdog story, so we're all rooting for the Rams today, right? Because we don't, we don't want the evil empire to keep winning, all right? We just, sorry, Bob and Barbara. We can't vote. I'm, I'm not rooting for the Patriots today. But anyway, I'm excited about the Super Bowl. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit, a, a short story about something that happened to me. I, gr- I grew up in the Catholic Church and uh, went to Sunday school, went to catechism classes faithfully. So you could say I knew a little bit about Jesus. I knew quite a bit about Jesus, heard the stories, heard the miracles and all those things. And uh, I remember I was shopping with my mom and we went to, we wandered into Family Christian Bookstore. Somebody remember those? <laughs> Somebody remember brick and mortar bookstores? <laughs> Can we believe that those are becoming like an obsolete old thing? It's kind of crazy to me. Uh, but we wander, we wander into the store, and I see on the display shelf that there was this book, and it caught my eye. And it was, it was a man laying on the ground with his, his head kind of staring at the ceiling like he was in dismay. And the title of the book was, Why So Many Gods? Why So Many Gods? And then I, I picked up the book and began to leaf through it, and it was this very colorful uh, book. And it, and it went through about 150 different religions and worldviews and philosophies and what they believed and who believed it and what celebrities were of certain religions and all these different things. And when you're you know, 13 years old and you've been you know, brought up in one religion, one worldview, and you suddenly, in a brief moment, discover, oh, wow, there's 150 different ways of thinking about this. It can, it can be kind of a, a dizzying experience. It can kind of throw you off a little bit. And well, who is Jesus in relation to all of these other things? Who is Jesus in relation to all of these other gods and worldviews? And so I bought the book then and there, and I read it, and I still have it. I can show it to you sometime. Um, and so I began to study. And I realized, you know, in our culture, we're, we're, we're very careful not to offend each other, not to offend each other's beliefs, usually most of the time. Uh, and we say, you know, well, you know, most of these, they're, they're essentially the same. They kind of teach the same things. They're probably all the same God anyway. Let's, let's not be picky. Let's not debate about this. Um, but as Kurt discussed with us last week, you know, we found that a lot of these religions, they claim very different things. And I think we all can recognize that, and it's okay to be respectful of other people's beliefs and cultures and religions. And I, actually, I would submit to you, I think it's more respectful to acknowledge that a lot of these are very different. They're very different, and they come from different worldviews and parts of the world. Uh, you know, for example, Hinduism believes in many gods. Buddhism doesn't believe in a god at all. Uh, Muslims believe Jesus was not God. He was just a prophet. And Christians do believe that, yes, Jesus is God. And I think that's what it comes down to for Christianity, is what Christians say about a real human being, a real man who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and died upon the cross. What separates Christianity from everything else is what we say about Jesus Christ. Now, we're, we're back in our Explore God series, and we've been asking some of the most difficult questions of the Christian faith. And today, the question that's posed to us uh, is, is Jesus really God? Is he really God? Who was Jesus? Was he, was he simply another religious figure? Was he a great teacher or philosopher? Uh, what are we to do with Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus once asked his own disciples, well, well, who do you say that I am? And actually, they gave many different answers. Well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Uh, because people at that time, they were wondering, they were debating, who is this man, Jesus Christ? What are we to do with him? And in the same way, people are debating who Jesus is today. 
You know, Muslims say he was a great prophet. The Hindus say he was one of their great gurus. Uh, some American leaders say he was a good businessman. He was a good entrepreneur. We can learn leadership from Jesus. You know, but we all should think very carefully. Who is Jesus Christ to you? I want you to think, how would you personally answer that question if someone asked you, who is Jesus Christ? What answer would you give? Because I believe that is the most important question we will all answer in our lifetimes and into eternity. And perhaps you're here today and you're not sure how you would answer that question yet, and I want you to know that that is okay and that you can belong here. We want this to be a place for you to explore God with us. And I believe what you will hear today will offer you some, some compelling thoughts about who Jesus is. Um, and many of you here today, and you already have an answer to this question, uh, but I want you to think about this totally fresh. Because if what we say about Jesus is true, it should change your entire life. If you really believe it, if you really follow it, it should turn your whole life upside down. And you may have friends and family who might ask you, well, who is Jesus Christ to you? And you might need to be able to offer them an answer. And so I invite you to pay attention to what we have to say this morning. Because for over 2,000 years, billions of people all across cultures in the globe have come to the conclusion that Jesus was somehow more than simply a man. So I want to ask, well, what separates Jesus from all others? What makes him unique? So we're going to dive into that this morning. And the first thing that makes Jesus unique from all others is the uniqueness of his teaching. The uniqueness of his teaching. You know, Jesus is recognized by many, religious or not, that he was a great moral teacher. Uh, and actually, he was recognized as being wise from a very young age. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus, when he's 12 years old, he, gets, he wanders away from his parents and he gets lost in the temple. And he sits among the great teachers of, of Judaism of his time and he's talking with them. And it says he's sitting among them, listening to them and asking them questions. And it says, everyone, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, they saw even when he was 12, there was something different. There was something unique. There was something astounding about Jesus. And he goes on to become one of the greatest teachers the world has ever seen. And billions, Christians or not, have been inspired by some of his teachings and his stories. Many have been inspired by the story of the Good Samaritan and the, and the prodigal son. He summed up the entire Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew law, by boiling it down to saying, you know, we, we should love God with all that we have and we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Perhaps one of Jesus' most revolutionary teachings was to love your enemy, to turn the other cheek when you were struck. This teaching of nonviolent love, of loving your enemy, was so radical. It has changed the world in so many ways that we can't even begin to describe. But I'll give you a few. Uh, Gandhi, the leader in India, he was very influenced by the teachings of Jesus, especially this teaching on loving your enemy and turning the other cheek. And it's actually, he, he based his, his work on the teachings of Jesus Christ, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, and it changed India forever. So too, Nelson Mandela followed in these footsteps, and he changed South Africa from apartheid to freedom. And then in our own country, we've seen the effects of this. Martin Luther King Jr., who we just celebrated uh, his day uh, shortly ago. And uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he was a Christian pastor. He based his whole movement on the teachings of Jesus Christ and putting them into practice. And he changed our country forever because of the teachings of Jesus. And so I believe it's a great testimony to the teachings of Jesus Christ that they are divine because when they are put into practice, and that's the key, when they're put into practice, they change lives and they change the world. It's an amazing thing. So we know J Jesus has a unique teaching. The second uh, characteristic is uh, I want to talk about the uniqueness of his character. 
You know, Jesus, he not only taught amazing truths, he, he lived them. He lived them out. Uh, Norton Herbs, he, he writes this. says, Jesus shunned crowds to spend time alone in prayer. He refused to be crowned king by enthusiastic but misguided followers. And he stood silent before his scheming accusers. His compassion was exemplified in his gracious attitude toward outcasts. His association with Samaritans, Gentiles, and Romans, all of whom Jews despised. His embrace of the poor and ritually unclean and his forgiveness of those who executed him. You know, we see many leaders today, whether they're religious leaders, whether they're political leaders, when they have power, often we see them abuse that power for their own gain, for, the, for something to get for themselves. And Jesus, he had quite a following in his time, but we, there is never one time that he used this power for himself. Instead, what do we hear him doing? He washed feet. He cared for the poor and served them. He met needs. And he let himself be killed for humankind. You see, the, the witness of the scriptures of the Bible is that Jesus... His character was so unique that he was actually a sinless man. He was, so, he was perfectly holy in all that he did, perfectly righteous. I just want you to look at a few phrases of the people who actually were, were involved in Jesus' death. Uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor who sent him to his crucifixion, he says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. And then a soldier, a Roman soldier at the cross said, surely this was a righteous man. And then the thief who's being crucified next to him said, this man has done nothing wrong. See, they couldn't find a basis to charge him with anything. And so you might say, okay, well, a few people, you know, a few in, uh, innocent folk, are, uh, you know, they, they thought that, uh, um, you know, Jesus was this innocent man. But what about the people who, who really knew Jesus? Because normally when you get close to somebody, when you live with somebody, you see all the dirt, right? You see all the junk. And actually, even for many other religious leaders, in the case of Muhammad or even Gandhi, we read about some of the misdeeds that they have done. But with Jesus Christ, nothing of the sort is written. In fact, his closest disciple, the Apostle Peter, he writes this. He says, Jesus was a lamb without blemish or defect. Perfect. John, his other close apostle, he calls him the righteous one. A righteous man. The righteous one. The only righteous one. And the Apostle Paul later says that Jesus had no sin. And that is the teaching of Christianity. That Jesus was a sinless, holy man. And so out of all religious leaders, Jesus' character is unique and far superior but the most amazing aspect of Jesus' character that I submit to you is his love. I mean, when you see Jesus, he loves people of all ethnicity, of all status and socioeconomic uh, status, of all ages and types. And he taught us to love our enemies. And then what did he do? He went and lived it out. And when those nails are piercing his wrists, when they're piercing his feet, when he has been whipped, when he has been tortured, when he is bleeding on the cross and gasping for breath, there's not one ounce of him that doesn't love the people who are doing it to him. And he prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus' whole being is love. And when he was on that cross, he did it for you too. Even when, when we were still sinners, when we rebelled our, away from God, he gave his life for us. His love is unmatched than we've ever seen. Even, you know, he would go all the way. Even if we rebelled to the furthest depth, he would still die for us. It's an amazing love. So Jesus has unique character. We also want to talk about the uniqueness of his claims. 
You know, many we talked about look at the they, they look at simply the moral teachings of Jesus, but but we can't really separate that from the other things he said and did. And we need to look at some of the claims he made about himself because these claims should give every single one of us pause. If, he, if someone was proclaiming this, if I was saying this, or you, or you were saying this, the kind of things that Jesus said, you would immediately think that we're out of our mind, that we're not right, that we were crazy, that we're off our rocker. You think these are crazy things to be, to be said. And so we want to look at his claims. And to sort through the claims of Jesus, he said many things about himself. I think it's helpful to think in kind of four different categories. This helps me think about it. Uh, and the first category of things that Jesus claimed is they relate to fulfillment and how he fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, he says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, I am the climax of the story. I am here to fulfill everything that has gone on before. All the prophecies, all the things that have been foretold, I am here and the time is now. He says in John 5, 39, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, he says, you study the scriptures diligently, diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The Bible's about me. You've been studying them, you're, you're going to miss the point. The Bible is about me. That is an extraordinary claim, is it not? And then he says, uh, a second uh, category I want to think about is his claims about his relationship to God. Jesus talked about God all the time, and he talked about him as his unique father, that he was unique, uniquely related to God. Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, Jesus has the ability to reveal God the Father in a special, unique way. And then in John 10, 30, he says this, I and the Father are one. We are one, we are united. It's extraordinary. Third category I want you to think about is what Jesus claimed to uh, his authority. His authority. Jesus would often go around saying, your sins are forgiven. And people would be like, people would be like what? How can you say that? Only God can forgive sins. And that was exactly the point. That Jesus was claiming authority to forgive sins on the earth. And he also taught authoritatively. He didn't have to quote any commentators or articles or, or peer-reviewed you know, kind of things. He could just say, you know, you've heard it said, and Moses, well, well I say to you. He had the authority to teach what was true without anybody else's authority. And people were amazed by this. And he also, he talked about how he would come back at the end of history to judge the whole world. In fact, he said he was coming back to, you know, he was going to sit on the throne and all the nations would be gathered before him. And he would separate the righteous from the wicked like a, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said he alone would have the authority and the power to do such a thing. Isn't that extraordinary? Something that only God should be able to do. Jesus saying, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do that. And lastly, the fourth category of claims that he made were in regards to salvation of mankind. John 14, 6, he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says this in John 11, amazing promise, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Will never die. Friends, this is extraordinary claims that he makes for himself. No other religious leader made these types of claims. No other religious leader claimed to be uniquely the son of God than Jesus did. 
Muhammad didn't do it. Buddha didn't do it. Gandhi didn't do it. Joseph Smith didn't do it. Socrates didn't do it. No one else claimed these type of things except for Jesus Christ. And if we're going to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? We better take seriously the things that he said about himself. Should we not? Let's look at what Jesus said and then go from there. So Jesus made a lot of unique claims. The fourth category I want to think about is the uniqueness of his power. The uniqueness of his power. You know, we know that Jesus was a Jewish man and that the Jews were intensely monotheistic. They believed in one God, shouldn't worship any other gods or idols, and God has uniquely revealed himself to us, the Jewish people, so that we can bless the whole world. And uh, so Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene, the last thing the disciples are thinking, well, is that this man is, is God. I mean, they know, the one thing they know is that he is a human being just like us. We see him eat, we see him sleep, but then they begin to see some other interesting things. They see him do some, some interesting things. And we know from history that this group of Jewish disciples, they launched a movement and they died for a movement, proclaiming a Jewish man was now God and Lord. They had come to believe that this Jewish man was somehow God. I mean, how could this happen? You know, if I showed up or somebody showed up to you and said, hey, I'm God, I mean, you'd think they're crazy or you'd say, well, we'll back it up. You better prove it if you're going to make that type of claim. And this is what Jesus did again and again. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus doing amazing things. He gives sight to the blind. He feeds 5,000. He takes a little bread and fish and, and feeds them. He turns water into wine. He heals leprosy and other diseases. He drives out evil spirits. He walks on the water and then he stops a storm with the word of his mouth. <laughs> and then his, his very Jewish disciples say, who, what man is this? What kind of person are we dealing with here? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? What is going on with Jesus? Perhaps he is somehow more than just a man. And even people today, they have found that amazing things happen when you pray in Jesus' name. When you pray in Jesus' name, things change. Strange things happen. Miracles happen. Power goes out. There is something powerful that Jesus is still doing in the world. He has a unique power out of all of human history. The fifth area I want to talk about is the uniqueness of his death. Jesus' death is different than any other religious leader. Take a few examples. Muhammad, he died at the age of 62. Moses was 120. Confucius was 72. Buddha was 80 years old. And they were all celebrated by their followers at their death. And then you look at Jesus. He's a man who dies in his early 30s, rejected by the religious leaders of his day and the political powers of his day. And in fact, his disciples deserted him at the time that he most needed them. Could there not be a sharper contrast in Jesus' death? In most other religions, they focus on the ongoing influence of their leader's life, but Christians focus on the ongoing influence of their leader's death. In ever since, Christians have been pointing to the cross because Jesus told his disciples that in a strange way, this is why he came. He came, he said, I am destined to die, to be killed by the authorities and I will rise again three days later. This is the hour for which I have come, was the cross. And ever since we've been pointing and saying that God has died for us on the cross to forgive our sins, to redeem us from the power of sin, to cancel the debt and the penalty of sin that was against us, and to reconcile us with our Creator. Even if you're not sure what you believe about it yet, friends, this is the most amazing love story 
the world has ever heard. That a God who would love us so much that he would come and be one of us and suffer a brutal death that he might reconcile you to himself. That he would give everything just to be with you. Even if you're not sure what you believe about it, I think we can all at least admit this is the most amazing love story the world has ever heard of. And so we believe Jesus' death is unique. We proclaim it. And finally, we proclaim the uniqueness of his resurrection. No other religious leader predicted that they would die and come back from the dead except for Jesus. You know, some people say things like, well, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., his, his, his influence lives on, so he, li he lives on in that sense. But no, that's, that's not what Christians are saying. We're not saying that Jesus' influence somehow just continues on and we're carrying out what, what he did. No, we're saying he really died on that cross and that he really physically came back three days later. This is an extraordinary claim, isn't it? Because if it's true, it proves the divinity of Jesus Christ. If it's true, if Jesus predicted his death and came back, then he is certainly true about what he said. He is God. And now we know that the tomb was empty. Because any, any Roman or Jew who wanted to, to, to stop this Jesus movement, they could have said, look, there, there's his body in the tomb. But in fact, what was happening is the, the Jews, they started spreading a rumor that, that actually the disciples had stolen Jesus' body. So in other words, it wasn't up for debate that the tomb was empty. That's the one fact they all agreed on. But it was what happened. What happened with the body? And so what happens afterwards is many people start claiming that they see Jesus in the flesh after they saw him crucified. Imagine if this happened to you. If you had seen Jesus crucified and then a few days later, he appears and you can see him and you can touch him and you can eat with him. That would change your life. And, many, and this happens to many people. And, and we know from science that this has nothing of the character of hallucinations or anything like that. In fact, it's scientifically impossible for that many people to have the exact uh, type of hallucination. So, that, that, so that's out of, out of there. But what we know is that the world was eventually turned upside down from a group of very Jewish, very monotheistic people started proclaiming that a, man, a Jewish man had risen from the dead and now he was God and Lord of the world and that we were going to start spreading this message. And in fact, it moved from a very small sect of Judaism, about over 100 people, to in a few hundred years, it would be the most dominant religion in the entire world. In fact, the religion of the Roman Empire later in the 300s. How does that happen? How does that happen? And they did all this under the threat of their lives. They faced intense persecution and martyrdom. Friends, I think when you look at the evidence, I think it's very plausible to say Jesus really did rise from the dead. And people really saw him after he was crucified. And that's how this whole thing got started. And I believe the resurrection is God's way of saying Jesus was telling the truth. All those crazy things he said, all those extraordinary claims, he was right. He was, he was telling the truth all along. And now the good news is you can have your past forgiven because of the cross, that whatever's going on in your life in the present all the junk and mess of our lives can be utterly changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now your future can be secure because Jesus has made a way for eternal resurrected life. When you put your life in Jesus' hands, your past is forgiven, your present is, is, is transformed, and your future is secure. Past, present, and future made alive in Jesus Christ.
That is the good news that Christians proclaim that we have through Jesus Christ. So let me recap. Jesus is unique because of his life-changing teaching, his impeccable character, his extraordinary claims, his miraculous power, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. So who is Jesus Christ? Is he really God? Friends, if Jesus really did and said all the things that we just discussed, C.S. Lewis put it this way many years ago, either he was a liar, either he was a lunatic, or he is Lord. Let's think about the liar option. Yeah, certainly you could say Jesus just made this all up. You know, he's a power-hungry leader. You know, he, he, just, he could have lied about his relationship to the Father. He could have faked a few miracles. And uh, then he could have had his disciples spread a lie that he had come back from the dead. But then we, okay, well then, for, for what reason would Jesus do such a thing? I mean, we know he didn't gain any money or power in the world through it. In fact, his teaching led him to be tortured by one of the most gruesome regimes that all of human history has seen. And then he was put to death and he never once recanted about what he taught. Why would he go through that if he knew he was lying? If you were doing that, you would certainly recant at the moment you had the opportunity. You know, forget it. <laughs> I was just making it up. If you're going to go through that, but no, Jesus went through it to the end. And furthermore, if Jesus was a, a, a serial liar, we would expect to see other character flaws, other things come up, but we don't see any of such evidence in the things said or written about Jesus. So given the evidence, I would submit to you that the liar option doesn't seem to be, be very plausible. Well, the second option, you might say, well, maybe he was a lunatic. Maybe he was just one of those crazy people that just claims they're God and got a following. Uh, you know, but Jesus, he's revered as one of the world's greatest teachers, even by people who don't follow him, and that he's this remarkable storyteller. And we, we don't, he doesn't seem to be the kind of person that is out of his mind on a regular basis. He seems to be in his right mind and be able to teach others, and they're amazed at what he does and says everywhere he goes. And furthermore, and, here, and here's a kicker for me, Jesus, his own brother, it is written in the Bible and church history and actually history outside the Bible, uh, that Jesus' own brother, James, his earthly brother, he goes on to become one of, uh, one of the apostles of the church and a follower of Jesus, and he gives his life, dying, saying that Jesus is God and Lord. What would it take for you for him to be convinced that your brother was the Son of God? <laughs> it, would, it would take me everything to be convinced that my brother was the son of God. But James was convinced and he gave his life. He said, no, he's not out of his mind. He's not a lunatic. I've seen my brother and I've seen all of these things. I followed the whole story. Yes, he is the son of God. He's not a lunatic. So I would submit to you this morning that the lunatic option also does not seem very plausible given the evidence. No, friends, I would submit to you this morning, if he's not a liar, if he's not a lunatic, then given the evidence, it is most plausible to conclude that Jesus really is Lord. He really is God. He really is who he said he was. And if that is true, that should change everything for us. And moreover, besides the arguments, I would say to you, billions of people around the world, including myself, would give you their own testimony that Jesus has changed my life. He has transformed my life. He has given me his peace he has given me his joy. His spirit is in me. And you can have a personal relationship with him because he is the living Lord. And many people would tell you the same thing. Jesus is alive and well, and he's still changing lives today. You know, if you're here this morning and you're still curious, you're still wondering, you're still seeking, I want to invite you to take a step closer to Jesus today. That you might actually begin to have some of your questions answered. 
that you might say, you know what, I want to try this out. I want to I take a step closer to Jesus. And if that's you, don't let this moment slip away from you. I w- I'm going to be up here after the service is done. I'd love to talk with you and speak with you. Uh, I'll be waiting up here and I'd love to pray with you and give you that opportunity to take a step closer to Christ. And many of you are here this morning and you're already a follower of Jesus. And I just want you to remember how special, how amazing, how unique Jesus is. It's all, this, whole, this whole thing is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about a generic God movement. It's about a Jesus movement. We proclaim Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that Jesus said to folks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If Jesus is your Savior, make sure that he's your Lord. Make sure that you build your whole life around him, not fit him into your life. No, if he is Lord, he wants your allegiance, your surrender, because he has given you everything. Friends, we proclaim that Jesus is the unique Son of God, that he has given his life all because he loves us and invites us to walk with him. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh God, we come before you and we thank you that you have indeed not left us to ourselves, but you came for us in your son, Jesus Christ, to become one of us, to be among us, to teach us, to show us your power and to give us new life in you. And Father, I pray for all of us here, no matter where we are on our journey, that we would take a step closer to you today, that we would open up bigger spaces in our hearts to welcome you in. And to say, yes, you are Lord. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to give my life to you. Lord, remind us, for those of us who have followed for a long time, remind us how special you are, how unique you are. God, give us the courage, give us the energy to proclaim the uniqueness of Jesus to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members. Lord, to know that they are so loved because of what Jesus has done. Oh, Lord, give us the boldness and give us the courage. We greatly need it. And Father, help us to make Jesus, the center of our lives. That we wouldn't build on anything else that's sinking sand, but we would build on the one foundation that you've given us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for his teachings, and we thank you that even Jesus taught us how to pray to you. And we pray the prayer together that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.